0: You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K.
1: A lapsus hacker is sentenced to hospital detention. Online ads and phishing drain crypto wallets. Cyber espionage continues. Lockbit and Al v say they want to form a ransomware cartel. The 8220 gang's cryptojacking. Darkgate rats propagation. The evolution of Banduk. A prominent title insurance company takes systems offline. Rick Howard speaks with guests John Goodman and Amanda Satterwhite of Accenture Federal Services about the launch of a public sector cybersecurity center of excellence. And Trump's dumps lead to Biden cash. It's Friday, December 22nd, 2023. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is your CyberWire Intel Briefing. Arian Kurtage, an 18-year-old hacker associated with the infamous Lapsus Group, has been sentenced to an indefinite hospital order after a series of high-profile cyber attacks, including a significant leak from the highly anticipated Grand Theft Auto 6 game. Alongside a younger accomplice who remains unnamed due to legal protections for minors, Cartage faced a six-week trial at Southwark Crown Court where their guilt was established. The Lapsus Group, described as digital bandits in court, has been involved in various attacks targeting entities from the Brazilian Ministry of Health to major corporations like Nvidia, Uber, and BT Group. These teens, mainly based in the UK and Brazil, have caused an estimated $10 million in damages through their coordinated cyber attacks which include attempts to extort a $4 million ransomware from BT using exfiltrated data. Notably, Cartaj continued his hacking spree even while under police custody, managing to compromise Rockstar Games and exfiltrate 90 clips and the source code of the unreleased Grand Theft Auto 6. He executed these attacks from a travel lodge hotel using a hotel TV, mobile phone, and Amazon Fire Stick. His brazen actions, including a threat to release the source code unless contacted within 24 hours, led to his arrest and eventual sentencing. Judge Patricia Lees deemed Kurtage unfit for a traditional trial due to his autism, but recognized him as a high risk to the public due to his advanced hacking skills and determination to continue cybercrime activities. As a result, Kurtage will reside in a secure hospital until a mental health tribunal assesses him fit for release. This sentence reflects the court's understanding of both his mental health needs and the serious threat his capabilities pose. Google and Twitter ads are being used to promote phishing sites featuring a cryptocurrency drainer named MS Drainer, which has already stolen $59 million from over 63,000 victims in nine months. Researchers at Scam Sniffer identified over 10,000 phishing websites utilizing MS Drainer, with notable spikes in activity throughout 2023. The Drainer deceives users into approving malicious contracts on seemingly legitimate websites, allowing attackers to transfer funds from victims' wallets. Ads on Google and X twitter including those from verified accounts possibly compromised by malware, have significantly contributed to the spread and success of these phishing campaigns. Users are advised to exercise extreme caution with cryptocurrency-related ads and thoroughly vet new platforms. Deep Instinct reports ongoing cyber espionage by UAC-0099 against Ukraine, exploiting a WinRAR vulnerability, typically through bogus court documents. This actor uses simple but effective tactics involving PowerShell and VBS files, with newer WinRAR versions being immune. While suggestive of Russian involvement, no formal attribution is given. Concurrently, the Cloud Atlas group is targeting Russian entities with phishing campaigns, exploiting a known Microsoft Office vulnerability. Both campaigns exemplify persistent cyber espionage activities in the region with state direction suspected but not confirmed. After the FBI-led takedown of the Alf V. Black Cats dump site, the Cyber Express reports that Alf V. and Lockbit are discussing forming a cartel as a strategy for criminal survival and resistance against law enforcement. Citing the need for unity in the face of international law enforcement collaboration, they propose banding together. However, it's uncertain whether this will make them stronger or just a bigger target. Meanwhile, the global community and law enforcement continue their pursuit of these cybercriminals. Researchers at Imperva have identified the 8220 gang, a cybercriminal group from China, exploiting a vulnerability in Oracle WebLogic server to install cryptojacking malware. By combining this with using compromised credentials, They execute code and deploy malware. The 8220 gang employs gadget chains to load XML files and execute OS commands. They're primarily targeting healthcare, telecommunications, and financial services in the U.S., South Africa, Spain, Colombia, and Mexico. Proofpoint is monitoring a malware operator known as Battle Royale which notably began exploiting a Windows Smart Screen vulnerability before Microsoft disclosed it. The initial campaign, detected on October 2nd of 2023, utilized multiple traffic delivery systems, specifically 404 TDS and Kaitaro TDS. Despite variations in the attack chain, URL files exploiting the Smart Screen flaw were a consistent element in all campaigns by this actor. Fortinet has identified a new variant of the Banduk Remote Access Trojan, emerging in October and spreading through shortened URLs in PDF files. Despite a large number of commands for C2 communication with the malware, its actual payload performs fewer tasks. This discrepancy is due to multiple commands being used for single actions, some calling functions in other modules, and others solely responding to the server. First American Financial Corporation, a major U.S. title insurance company, took some systems offline to manage a cyber attack. The incident led to their official website being taken down, with the company working to resume normal operations. This incident follows a May 2019 breach, which exposed the personal and financial data of many individuals due to a vulnerability in their Eagle Pro application. The California-based company, with a history dating back to 1889, recently paid a $1 million penalty for the 2019 breach, underlining the serious implications of cybersecurity lapses in handling sensitive data. Coming up after the break... Rick Howard speaks with guests John Goodman and Amanda Satterwhite of Accenture Federal Services about the launch of a public sector cybersecurity center of excellence. Stay with us.
2: Accenture is a global professional services firm that provides consulting technology and outsourcing services to clients in various industries. I got to sit down with two of its leaders that service the U.S. federal government, Amanda Satterwhite, the lead for federal cyber growth strategy, and the CEO of the federal business, John Goodman. We got to talking about these relatively new organizational constructs called Centers of Excellence, or COEs, that have been around for 30 years or so and probably originated from the manufacturing sector. But the tech world started adopting similar ideas that came from that world, like running lean teams and Kanban boards and technical debt. And Accenture has built two COEs to help the U.S. federal government, one for cybersecurity and one for artificial intelligence. I started out by asking John to explain just what a center of excellence does in the general case. Well, a center of excellence brings together uh, the relevant experts and professionals
0: who are focused on solving problems in a particular area and seeks to focus uh, attention, insight, resources uh, to solve uh, problems. In this case, in cyber, what we are doing is bringing together our professional services experts with Google mandates threat intelligence capabilities and experts to directly solve one of the most challenging issues facing our clients in the federal government today. A center of excellence is a way to organize experts to uh, ensure that we're focused on solving the
2: most significant important problems. So Amanda, Accenture Federal Services has launched this new cybersecurity center of excellence. This is a service directed at the federal government. Why does the federal government need a cybersecurity center of excellence?
3: By expanding the alliance between these two organizations, we bring Best of breed technologies from both Mandiant, so their tech intelligence uh, platform, as well as Google's uh, their, their the cloud AI powered security tools, and then you overlay that with the Accenture Federal's human centered cyber capabilities that have always been uh, focused towards federal mission. You wrap that together, and now you're bringing kind of the the ultimate cybersecurity services to help our federal agencies not only detect threats. Uh, a lot faster, but also to be able to respond to those types of threats a lot quicker.
2: How is that different from how we've been doing it? Right, the, You know, we've been doing cybersecurity for 30 years. Uh, what does the Cyber uh, Center of Excellence bring to the table?
3: So one thing that is different about it is we're bringing proven technology that's used in the commercial world and we're tailoring it for mission and we're right fitting it for mission. Uh, and and we, found, we found that our government Clients absolutely are interested in using some consumer-grade technologies, but they need the expertise from Accenture Federal to be able to tailor it and to be able to position it and integrate it for mission use.
2: So, John, I think that's right uh, because you know most people, when you think about big government like U.S. government, they you think you know lots of resources uh, to throw at this, but in reality, most of the U.S. government is they run like small startups, right? They don't really have the expertise to to do all the things that we're talking about here? Uh, Honestly, I think every large organization in uh, the
0: United States, if if not the world, faces multiple threats from cybersecurity, whether it's ransomware, which we've seen numerous examples in the commercial sector, or direct attacks by state and non-state actors for purposes of everything from intelligence gathering to accessing intellectual property to more pernicious types of attacks. So I don't think the federal government is alone in that respect <laughs> by, by any means. And access to top skilled cyber resources is also a challenge faced in both the private sector and in the public sector. So in this area and in others, organizations are reaching out for access to work with partners who are very focused in those areas and can bring them skills that they would have trouble using on a full-time basis. So in this case, what, what we're doing is bringing together the Accenture Google Mandiant combined capability because none of us can do uh, alone what both of us can do together.
2: So Amanda, you guys launched the Federal Generative AI Center of Excellence earlier this year. Clearly, you guys think that there's something to this COE model. Is there going to be some sort of overlap between the two? Because we're all talking about both those things together. How are you guys handling that with uh, inside Accenture?
3: Anything we do, you're going to see a convergence of security applied to name your next uh, technology. And so it's no different in uh, preparing your government clients to invest in AI securely and responsibly. And so whether it's uh, preparing them with their data security strategies, helping them with technology vetting across the entire new AI ecosystem, uh, or even building the next uh, human in the loop and human capital and workforce planning that allows us to align the best security experts along with those data scientists to help our federal clients really um, adopt and support strategies that support a better mission outcome.
2: It's funny you say that because I was talking to a friend of mine, Steve Winterfeld, he's a regular here at the CyberWire. He said, you know, a year ago, there was no job description for prompt engineer. One way to think about it is that generative AI is a technology. Cyber is a mission
0: area. What we're doing is taking this capability and working with large language models to be able to generate solutions, suggest much faster than can be Done by humans. And if you tie this in with the, the, the human resource shortage in cyber, any part of the cyber mission that can be addressed automatically through generative AI gives your
2: cyber experts more
0: time to focus on newer, more challenging issues.
2: That was Amanda Satterwhite, the lead for federal cyber growth strategy, and John Goodman, the CEO of the federal business at Accenture.
1: Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And finally, the Biden Cash criminal marketplace is giving away 1.9 million stolen credit cards for free as a marketing ploy, bleeping computer reports, the cards include numbers, expiration dates, and CVVs. While the validity of the dataset is unconfirmed, Bleeping Computer notes that given the platform's history of providing genuine data in previous releases, it seems improbable that the shop would risk tarnishing its reputation with a fake pack. Biden Cash, despite its name and the smiling face of Joe Biden it displays on its page, is not related to the U.S. president. According to Searchlight Cyber, the name is a jokey riff on a predecessor criminal market that called itself Trump's Dumps, which went offline after it was raided in early February 2022. As Flashpoint reported at the time, the illicit service was taken down by, of all people, Russian law enforcement authorities. January and early February of 2022 saw a false dawn of Russian gestures toward legality in cyberspace, Those gestures ended on February 24th when Russia invaded Ukraine. Since then, it's been all privateering all the time. Trump's dumps had, of course, no more to do with Mr. Trump than Biden cash does with Mr. Biden. Biden cash launched shortly after Trump's dumps hit the law enforcement bumps. So not a Joe, nary even a hunter, just sleazy carters shilling fulls to some punter. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of our stories, check out our show notes at thesyberwire.com. A program note. This is our last Cyberwire Daily Podcast for 2023. We'll be taking some time off for a long winter's nap, but we'll be back in your podcast feed with new episodes starting January 2nd. Over the break, we'll be running encore episodes of some of our favorite shows. Longtime listeners are familiar with a list of names we credit at the end of every program. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin, who works hard behind the scenes, making sure we all have the things we need to bring you this show every day. Our mixer is Trey Hester, who masterfully and patiently makes sure that everyone who steps up to the mic sounds their very best and fills in for me as host when I'm unavailable. Our original music is by Elliot Peltzman, who's not just a brilliant composer and musician, but this year became leader of our sound and vision team, Heading up N2K's audio and video efforts, our editorial team are Tim Nodar and editor John Petrick, who gathers up the day's stories and makes sure we are providing expert analysis and aggregation. Our executive producers are Jennifer Iben and Brandon Karp. Jennifer Iben leads the day-to-day decision making of who will appear on our shows and coordinates our guest appearances and network shows, making sure everyone has what they need and knows what to expect. Brandon Carp leads our podcast team, collaborating on our overall vision and making sure each of us have what we need to do our jobs and do them well. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, our N2K CEO, responsible for the overall vision of our company and for making sure the business side of things runs in such a way that we can keep doing what we love. There are countless other people, too many to name. Our AdOps team, our sales teams, the folks writing and producing our N2K training materials and courses, every one of them play a part in bringing you the news and information you've come to count on from the CyberWire. And of course, thanks to you for listening and for helping spread the word about our little show. It's my heartfelt privilege to serve as your host to bring you the combined efforts of our amazing team every day. We wish you a Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and a restful time with family and friends full of love, joy, and fellowship. I'm Dave Bittner. We'll see you back here next year.